Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on the podcast, I interview the best minds on the planet in all the areas of your life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, we believe you deserve success in all areas of your life and not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experiences. This year, we'll be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. The goal of these experiences are to get you out of your day-to-day and to put you into experiences that will ignite your soul. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if we are a good fit for each other. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. TripAdvisor is still fundamentally the same product it was in 2001 when they launched. So I wanted to create a company that led that next evolution in travel. When you travel, every little mundane activity becomes its own adventure. You know, if you're in some foreign country, you don't speak a language, and you're out of toothpaste. In the U.S., if you're out of toothpaste, it's an errand. But if you are, I don't know, in Mumbai, it becomes an adventure. I have yet to find anyone who has gone on an extended, long-term trip that has not had a life-changing experience. experience, experience. Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today on the show is Conrad Waleski. So look, this is a weird one. I was on the beach in Montenegro with my wife, Kim, and I was trying to figure out how to use this new drone that I bought, but we found out that I wasn't allowed to use it on this beach. So my wife and I were going back and forth and she's like, look, you can't use the drone here. You're always trying to break the rules. And Conrad, who I didn't know, was behind me and he was listening. And so he's like, you know, I'm always trying to break the rules too. And I travel a lot too. And as with most things in life, it was no accident that we met. He, I later found out, created an app called uh, Trip Scout. And it is, for me, one of the best curated travel apps in the world, I think it's way better than TripAdvisor or Yelp for a whole host of reasons, which we got into in this episode. We covered a lot of ground. We talked about traveling to seek more life instead of escaping your life, which a lot of people do, right? They're, they're like, I'm burnt out. I'm going to go to the Four Seasons and you know, I'm going to chill at the pool. We also talked about how he made the decision one year in a Chicago blizzard to see what if I were to just get on a plane now and leave this blizzard and would I be able to work remotely? In other words, would anybody even notice that I was gone? And it turns out they didn't. And that led into trips that ultimately wound up being really interesting, like Papua New Guinea or Mozambique. And we got some great stories there. And we also talked about how he does all of this travel. He's been to a hundred countries now with children. He's got two of them. And he talked about how he can look like an Emirati housewife in the airports now with kids. So he's trying to figure that part out. You're going to love this episode. Um, People have been reaching out to me about private coaching. If you want to coach with me privately, go to work hard, play hard coaching. Dot 
www.thepodcastmaker.com. Okay, please enjoy this interview. I loved doing it with Conrad. Conrad, welcome to the show. Rob, thank you for having me. Well, you know, with that uh, crazy startup we just went through with the tech support, where in the world are you today? So oddly enough, nowhere that interesting. I'm in uh, my hometown of Chicago. I thought you were going to say Shanghai with what we had to go through to make this happen. (laughs) Well, listen, I want to give people some context in how we met. I had just bought a drone had no idea how to use it, was walking down the beach in Montenegro. Uh, look that one up if you don't know where that is, because I didn't know where it was. And, and I run into this guy on the other end of the, uh, uh, the podcast here. And once I found out after chatting a little bit with what he does, I knew that we had to be besties for life. So thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Well, you, uh, you caught my attention because I, I don't know if you remember, but I was walking past you and overheard you and your wife having uh, a conversation that sounded like nearly every conversation I've had with my wife when traveling. You were trying to somehow get around the rules and she was looking at you with that look where she's like, I'm in, I'm down to do this, but uh, do you always have to do this and one day you're going to get caught? So I think you were trying to uh, use the drone in a place where drones were not allowed. So, you know, not hurting anybody, but... uh, we were uh, we were next to Fetty Stefan, which is the uh, where the I guess the Balkan celebrities hang out, and they didn't uh, didn't want drones. So I heard this conversation. I just walked past you and said, "Hey, well, you know the snipers on the roof try to shoot down drones, so you might want to watch out." And and uh, I had you for a second. <laughs> That's absolutely true. It's exactly how it happens. You know, I want to get into a bunch of a bunch of stuff around, you know, traveling to weird places around the world and the kind of work that you do. But I think a I think a good jumping off point would be to talk about the fact that you are, if I did my research right, you're the first American in your family. In what ways did having parents who were one of the leaders who actually led the insurgency against communism in Poland shape who you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So both my parents were political refugees who came to, came to the U.S. They were both thrown in prison for, for their beliefs. And, and, and as you mentioned, my dad was uh, in charge of the southern half of Poland. So he was uh, part of Lech Walesa's cabinet and they uh so it shaped me in two ways one it definitely like they they had a view where they wanted to go out and see the world and were restricted for most of their life so they i think instilled in me at a very very early age that the the privilege i had that the anything and the only thing stopping me were self-imposed limitations they had you know they had the soviet union stopping them but i had really nothing but excuses that could stop me and then uh, the second big uh, influence with that is, you know, as after my parents separated and my dad moved back to Poland, I spent at a very young age most of my summers in Poland and every other Christmas or so in Poland. And so I would travel back and forth. And the very this was pre nine eleven, so it was, uh, the rules were a little bit more relaxed. But my mom would drop me off at the airport, and 
they had these escorts that would, you know, help you make your connection uh, and make sure you get to, to your destination okay because, you know, nine-year-olds shouldn't be flying by themselves. And the very first time I did that, connected, it was either Amsterdam or Frankfurt, they, uh, they took me to this little cubicle and, like, just stuck me in there with two other kids who one of them was sick and... And I was there for like six hours during my whole connection and I didn't think it was very fun. So the next time I said, I'm never going to do that again. And when I was, when we landed in our connection, I, I just found uh, a young couple who looked like they could be parents and I just followed them out of the plane. So the airlines didn't think anything of it. And I uh, just wandered around the, the airport by myself and found my connecting gate and you know, it was an international airport, so nothing too exciting. But as a 10-year-old, that was ultimate freedom. And everything, you know, looked different, sounded different, different languages, different smells. And uh, to me, that hooked me uh, with the sense of exploration and adventure. Uh, and then, you know, getting to spend a lot of my summers in Europe, it just made me feel like the world was a, a small place. Well, it certainly seems like that would have informed, you know, sort of this life that you're living now, which we're going to dig into. Did did your dad talk about, uh, or your mom, talk about what it was like when they had requested asylum in the U.S. or to the U.S.? And, and maybe even what it was like for him or her being, you know, transplanted from Poland to North Carolina. I mean, that had to be a, a crazy culture shock. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, uh, both of my parents and they, this, they were not married yet. So my mom ended up in New York and my dad ended up in North Carolina. They both came to this country with like, $50 in their pocket. Didn't speak any English didn't know anyone and had to figure out how to make it. You know, my mom, I remember when she, when she landed, uh, they had some sort of assistance to get, uh, refugees settled and they, uh, you know, some sort of kind of like unemployment type compensation. And she just turned it down. She said, uh, wait, I thought this was America. I thought you did it yourself. And I say, well, you do do it yourself. We just, we'll help you get started. And, uh, and she said, nah, I think I'll just do it myself. She just walked out. And, uh, and, you know, made a, made a life for herself. And my dad had a, you know, it was an interesting, he had a different, uh, experience. I mean, similar immigrant story, but you know, he just, uh, was one of the main leaders of a revolution. He was the most senior person of the revolution outside of, uh, outside of Poland. And so he was trying to create a new life where he, he said, you know, I could live, I can live in the past or I can live for the future. And so he started uh he didn't talk a lot about what he did and he went and just applied for jobs and you know it's kind of comical when you know he's working interviewing for some entry-level position and they're like well do you have any leadership experience and uh uh but he also so he also had you know was getting constantly pulled back into it so he was brought to the white house and uh you know spoke to the national security council uh about uh, how to handle the revolution after martial law. He signed the human rights bill with uh, Ronald Reagan. And so he had, you know, he in one hand was still very much actively involved and in helping, you know, U.S. policy towards Poland uh, once once Poland went under martial law. And, you know, the America, America thought the revolution was suppressed, but, you know, it just moved underground. And, uh, and then also trying to start a new life and, and being American. So it was, uh, 
Yeah, definitely quite uh, quite the contrast. Well, you know, he eventually got a job that was working for GM, but he didn't he didn't last long there, right? He went back to or he stayed with GM, but he went back to Poland and didn't stay in the U.S. Um, but your mom did. And that sort of put you in a situation where you had to go back and forth between the States and Poland. How do you think that that sort of time in your life informed the travel company that you created today? And maybe you can explain what that company is. Yeah, well, I think on one hand, it uh, for anyone who's grown up with, uh, with a single mom, it, it just taught a lot of independence. You know, at a very young age, you had to do things like cook for yourself, do your own homework, occasionally put yourself to bed. So I think, and then being part of uh, what most immigrant stories tend to lead to, like, I was very entrepreneurial at a very young age uh, and found interesting ways to create new things, to make money and to, to contribute. But so that's from the entrepreneurship side. But then from the, from the travel side, as I mentioned earlier about going, going back and forth, it made the world feel like a small place that, and but one that's very diverse and very interesting and had i lived in new york or chicago or san francisco i it might have had a less of a contrast but i i grew up most of my childhood in nashville so there wasn't really much of a immigrant community in my town and i was kind of the one one of the few that were very different i went to preschool i didn't speak any english and uh quickly learned English and, uh, you know, try to fit in. But, uh, it made me have this real, uh, this real passion for how, how different the world can be and how beautiful and amazing that is and how that should be celebrated and sought after with curiosity, uh, and, and something that we should all strive to, to experience more of. So that you know, inspired and start inspired me for travel and, uh, you know, fast forward a handful of years, the company uh, that I run now is called Trip Scout. We are a venture-backed travel technology company. We make personalized uh, travel guides for the modern traveler. So it's all it's all on your mobile app. You tell us the kind of things you're you're into, where you're going, what's your budget, the dates that you'll be there, and we will pull all the best content uh, from local bloggers to top publishers uh, that are the most relevant for you. And we'll, uh, we create you a personalized guidebook that you can then use to go uh, explore in destination and, uh, and discover some really cool, awesome things while you're there. Well, I'll tell you, I, um, you know, in preparation for this interview, uh, one of the things that I did was I wanted to kind of just monkey around with your site while I was traveling abroad. And uh, I was in Rome uh, in Trastevere for about a week or so on a, a four-month trip to Europe. And, and so I started using your app. And, you know, somehow I put in that, you know, I've got, I don't remember the questions or the sequence that I went through, but I put in that, you know, I've got a, a kid and it's hot and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And the next thing I knew, there was a recommendation that popped up to go to a hotel that allowed people that weren't staying in the hotel to come in uh, for the day. And it wound up being this five-star hotel with this unbelievable pool right in the center of Rome that there's no way I would have ever known number one was there and number two that I can even get in. And then number three, don't tell them, I'm not going to mention their name, but they never asked me for the hundred euros <laughs> to come in for the day. So I literally went seven days in a row to this incredible pool because I had the five-year-old by myself. 
And it was like unbelievable. It. So, I mean, yeah, the app was, uh, the app is uh, a tremendous app. And I know that there's, you know, look, there's a lot of competition, right? I mean, there's everything from Rick Steves travel guides to apps that are on the internet and, you know, Yelp and TripAdvisor and all those things. But you've, you've got this, this different sweet spot that the others don't seem to have. How is it different in your minds? I know how it's, it feels different to me, but I don't think I have yeah, the words for it. How's it you different in your something minds? very interesting that I think when you look at how, when you, you mentioned the trip advisors and the Yelp, which, you know, the, that, that kind of uh, user generated content model has really been what's dominated uh, a lot of travel and, and food products. And it's inherently biased towards popularity, not quality. And you're unable to find the things that you just mentioned because it's buried under, you know, you know, to back up, like who is leaving the reviews on TripAdvisor? It's a bunch of tourists, right? So do you care what yep. Debbie from Kansas thought was the best gelato in, in Rome? No, no, because it probably right. sucks. And, uh, and so what we do is we've, we've gotten away from that model where we've said, okay, who are the local bloggers that really, and you know, local uh, influencers, local experts, celebrity, like local chefs, who knows their destination the best, uh, and then also who are the top publications that uh, that write about uh, the city and who write about it regularly, who actually create really good content, and we get rid of all the other noise and all the other stuff in between. And what our our technology, like what we specialize in, is we have crawled and indexed and categorized all the best travel content, rated it, and also extracted the points of interest from it. So we know based on who you are, when you're going to be there, what kind of budget you have, what's the most relevant uh, recommendations for you. And, uh, and, you know, as you're binging on great content, every place that's mentioned in one of those, uh, in one of those articles or videos is tagged back to our database of over 100 million points of interest. So if you see anything you like, one tap easily saves it to your maps, uh, which you can download offline when you're traveling, saves it to your itinerary. So, uh, so yeah, no, I think, and, and that's really what inspired me to start Trip Scout. So, you know, I've traveled to approximately 100 countries and I, you know, I've worked in tech. So I've loved, I've loved trying and using every single product out there. And I just never found anything that actually helped me travel the way I wanted to travel or any of my friends that I talked to. And so I realized that if you look at the last 10 to 20 years, the modern traveler has changed significantly. Why we travel, how we travel, what we hope to get out of the experience, all of that, it looks radically different today than it did 20 years ago. Yet every single product and service you use along the way, maybe with the exception of you know Airbnb and Uber, hasn't changed in 20 years since it first came online. So TripAdvisor is still fundamentally the same product it was in 2001 when they launched. So I wanted to create a company that led that next evolution in travel. How long has the company been in existence now? Four years. Four years. And do you remember the moment where you're like, I got this idea, I'm going to do it. And do you remember like what, you, like what was the first action that you took? Yeah. So I was actually I was the chief operating officer of a company called Speak. Yeah, we were in the process of going through uh, an acquisition, and I was really reflecting. I, like, I love the product we were building. I love the team, but it was ultimately in 
uh, it was a software company. We did online collaboration, kind of, you know, it was called Zoom before there was Zoom. And, uh, and at the end of the day, like my two passions were building, building businesses, entrepreneurship, as well as travel. And I, I had a moment of reflection where I realized that uh, those were often in conflict with each other and they didn't have to be. And so I didn't want to split my attention between the two uh, where, you know, I was constantly thinking about travel and writing. I had built a travel blog that gained a decent following. I was doing that or I was, you know, in the States and working on the business. And so I wanted to combine the two in the next thing that I did. Uh, And then true, like, best way to start a company is I just started nights and weekends, putting in extra time to uh, to start working on the product long before you know I was ready to com- to move on it because you know I had to complete the transition and uh, get the company in a good place. But uh, yeah, started started working on it and uh, and iterating on it, and uh, so that I could launch as soon as uh, as soon as we were ready. Basically, why this is different than most podcasts, I'm looking at the app now, and it seems to me that what's different from most of this, like I just put in, I live in Hermosa Beach in California. So I just put that in as if I'm taking a trip there. And what I'm seeing popping up are things that like, you know, the Griffith Observatory is mentioned in 11 articles. So I I didn't really understand how the content is being curated. But when you gave me the gelato example, I see the difference. So it's like everybody going to the same, you know, gelato touristy place is just going to propagate and, you know, make the algorithm look like, you know, that it's the best gelato. But really what you're doing, it appears, is you're going to the experts where this is actually talked about from food bloggers, et cetera which lends itself to much more credibility on, you know, the usefulness, let's say, of the particular venue. How do you, like, how is that done? Is it just where you're crawling the internet looking for blogs and then it's just like, how do you do that? Yeah, we, uh, I mean, we've put in a lot of effort. I mean, we, in, uh, in finding who knows the destinations the best. And so sometimes, you know, like if you are, if you are in the U.S., like Eater and the Infatuation and sites like that, like they create really good content uh, for multiple cities, and so that you know that kind of stuff is easier. But in each destination, you have local bloggers, uh, you have you know other you know other good publications like the New York Times, Thirty Six Hours. They they do a great job, and we, uh, you know, a lot of our secret sauce is just reading through every single thing on the internet and making sure we know who, who knows their stuff best and who's credible. And we rather amplify their voice uh, as opposed to just letting everyone uh, comment on it. And, you know, when, especially in the UGC model too, half of those reviews are either, you know, they're spam or they're bought for, or they're, you know, you're, you know, half of them are your competitors. The other half are your, your, your mom and your cousins. So, you know, we, we wanted to shift it to the people who know best. And, uh, and, and our view was the world didn't necessarily need more travel content. There's a lot of people producing really brilliant work. You just needed a way to sift through them. And we wanted to amplify the, the positive voices and then get rid of all the content marketing and clickbait and all the other things that kind of crowd out uh, a lot of the first few pages of Google. 
Love that. Such a different way of doing it. You know, your life is centered around travel. Like you're you, like, you make me look like I don't even travel. And it's not just for vacation for you. It's really for a way of life. Can you flush out a little bit more about how you travel and sort of like what your travel look, uh, life looks like? Yeah. You know, it's interesting the way it started. And this was before there was a term that was mainstream called digital nomad. But I had a business where I was, uh, it was a consulting firm. We were doing a lot of M&A and, venture and private equity type work. And uh, there was one day where I had uh, a really intense day. We had, I was working on three different projects, uh, got them all done, You know, sent off the last email. It was like 1130 at night. Uh, I poured myself a glass of wine and looked out the window. And we were, I was in Chicago. We were having one of the worst blizzards in Chicago history. Uh, and I kind of just like thought to myself randomly, it's like, man, all, you know, I have one client in New York, one client in California, one client in Chicago, but I was, I wasn't there. They just called me and emailed me. And as long as I got them what they wanted, no one, no one even asked or cared where I was. And so if no one asked or cared, they just cared that I answered the phone and, was available to, to talk and to work on something. Why the hell am I sitting in Chicago in the worst blizzard in Chicago history? So I went on a little experiment and, you know, I kind of started off just like a hypothetical question, but I quickly put it into action. Uh, flew to Europe, figured that was easy. That, that worked, that worked all right. Like no one, no, uh, no interruptions to the business. And then, uh, went to the middle East that worked. And then I decided, Hey, screw it. I'm going to, let me go travel for real. And I, uh, I flew to South Africa and then just made my way up the Eastern coast of Africa. And it was then where I realized that, you know, the, the work I was doing was still good, still high quality. I was able to maintain my income, but my life satisfaction was so much higher. I was learning and growing in ways that I never imagined. And I actually, uh, my bank account was growing because I was making the same income, but my, my expenses were almost uh, nothing compared to, you know, usually people think of travel as expensive, but, you know, I was, I spent, uh, I spent some time, you know, on this beautiful beach hut in Mozambique on one of the most gorgeous beaches and uh, was eating fresh fish that was just being caught and brought out to me uh, in real time. And it was, you know, 10 bucks a day probably for lodging and food. Uh, and so, you know, much cheaper than when you think about uh, having an apartment and having a car and having car insurance and having uh, all the normal life expenses that come from living in most major cities in the world. You know, it's interesting. I One of the, the challenges that I have in doing this show is I interview people on working hard and I interview people on playing hard. And invariably, the one who is playing hard is usually you know, a sort of like broke-ish couch surfer, you know, barely has enough money to survive, but just is addicted to traveling and, you know, leading a very, very fulfilling life, but, you know, not great when it comes to money and business. And then the other side is where I interview somebody that is just crushing it in business, making, you know, millions but they're just not taking the time to see the world and they're not, you know, enjoying, you know, fresh fish in Mozambique, let's say. You have 
created what I think is like right down the middle of this sort of like entrepreneurial, you know, guy with a background in M&A and, you know, creating a, a tech company and also doing the travel. You're like a, you're like a purple unicorn. Like that doesn't exist in my world. Now, if we, if we fold in the fact that, you know, you met and married your beautiful wife, Stephanie, who I met on the beach with you in Montenegro, and you decided that, you know, you two were going to devote your life to traveling the globe together. You know, what's the playbook for making this happen with a wife and a family? Yeah, so that's a good question. And with the, uh, with the family is one that I'm, uh, you know, figuring out now that we had our second kid uh, a handful of months ago. But ultimately, I think it's going back to uh, the first principles of what uh, what you want to get out of out of life and your career and and, and your family life, and uh, and it's being creative to to make that happen. And you know, like it, the hard part about this stuff is like you see the travel on Instagram, but you don't see it. It doesn't create as great content when the you know the hours and hours you're just slowly you're behind a computer. Uh, working your ass off to to make some of these things uh, some of these things happen, but for us, like it worked out well that my wife, um, you know, has also chosen a career that uh, helps her helps her travel and 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 live abroad. And uh, you know, when we were when we were young and uh, just got uh, just dating and then starting our relationship, uh, we were very committed to supporting the other person from a Achieving their dreams, so there was a lot of that time where we were uh, we were in different cities, or one of us was traveling while the other wasn't. Uh, and uh, you know, now now that we have kids, that is certainly that has changed, and we try to we make sure that we're in the same place. But yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a matter of uh, you know, I've never really liked the concept of work life balance because I've never felt like I've been a very balanced person. But the concept of work life harmony, where you're you know, everything is in sync and in harmony and you're, you're living the life you want both professionally and, and personally. And you're not really even seeing the divide between what's professional and personal to me is what, you know, ultimately is more, uh, more fulfilling. And it came to, you know, as I mentioned earlier with when we finished the, uh, transition at my last company, where I just knew the next thing I wanted to do was to combine travel and entrepreneurship so that, uh, it was all, all aligned. You know, I've always struggled with the concept of work-life balance too. I think we all know what it means when we say work-life balance. It means like, you know, take other areas outside of work and, you know, pump them up a little bit, like, you know, get to the gym, see the world, try this restaurant, like all those, you know, get a hobby, have fun, all those other things. But like you, I've always struggled with the term work-life balance, but I've never really known, you know, what else to call it. And you sort of like, you kind of coined the phrase work-life harmony. And for you, that means like sort of like harmonizing all the areas outside of work with work. Is that how you see it? Well, uh, Jeff Bezos, I believe, coined that term or maybe someone before him, but uh, he popularized it. So I can't, I can't take credit for that one. But yeah, to me, it's a matter of you're just in combining combining everything in a way that you want to live your life. And that does like, I, I work a lot and I also have a lot of, uh, a lot of fun and a lot of adventure. And, you know, half the time I'm working while 
in a really cool destination. And so to me, it's just a matter of choosing what kind of life you want to live and working hard to, to make that happen. If that requires you to not necessarily be in balance all the time, I think at least for me personally, that's uh, an okay trade-off. Well, listen, there is no balance. Like you're not going to equally balance, you know, areas outside of work with, it just doesn't happen. Certainly not with two kids. Do you know what I mean? Like you just, <laughs> like it's a fucking shit show. Let's be honest, right? You're just doing the best you can to survive. But so I like the fact that you're calling it work-life harmony because what you're trying to do is just do the best you can to harmonize all these answers. So that was great. Now, how you and your wife have traveled a lot together, yeah? Yes. All right. How do you do it without killing each other? <laughs> or, do, the, or, do, uh, or do you kill each other? No, I, uh, I think we just got lucky. Like I would want to say that we had, uh, we have some secret, um, but we just got lucky that we travel well together. I highly recommend before anyone gets married that they go on a few long trips with the other person. But, uh, you know, we tend to, uh, we tend to like to do similar things. We're both very curious. We both operate at the same speed and pace. And so, yeah, I just think, uh, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think we have any, uh, any secret. Well, listen, you, you said two things that I strongly want to highlight for listeners who are in this shape or in this position of, you know, maybe thinking about something like this. And the first one is, if your natures are in line with each other, like you both like doing the same shit, that helps a lot. The other one is take a trip with them. Like you, like, because I travel so much, I have so many people like, oh my God, I want to come with you. I'm like, you think you want to come with me <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> until you get on the beach in Montenegro and you're like, like, what the hell is this? Like I flew all the way around the world for this or, you know, just because you don't fully understand where in the world you are and you've got this, you know, this lens in your mind that, you know, you're going to be going to the four seasons and you're going to have a, a waiter that's going to bring you, you know, a pina colada and you get there and you're like, would somebody speak freaking English? You know what I mean? And you just don't get it it really wakes you up to you know the stresses and the challenges that you have and how you deal with it as a couple right yeah absolutely you touched on something really interesting and i do think that uh one of the biggest issues in travel right now is this idea of uh these kind of uh unrealistic expectations that travel has and i think in many ways it's I blame a lot of the, the influencers uh, on Instagram who, you know, a lot of the photos out there are, are edited and you only see the highlights and you, uh, you know, you see the beaches at 5 a.m. when the lighting is perfect and, you know, the 100,000 people haven't flooded it yet. And it sets this sense of what, <clears throat> what travel should look like based on a few Instagram photos versus the reality of it, which is often a lot more raw and a lot more challenging. Uh, but to me, that is like, that's what, that's what hooks me. You know, I think when, when you travel, every little mundane activity becomes its own adventure. So if you are, you know, if you're in some foreign country, you don't speak the language, you don't, you know, you don't understand the customs. Uh, they don't have maybe, uh, you know, the normal shops you're used to and you're, 
you're out of toothpaste. Like in the US, if you're out of toothpaste or in Europe, if you live, you know, if you're out of toothpaste, it's just like, it's an errand. But if you are, I don't know, in Mumbai, it becomes an adventure and you're like trying to go, trying to go on this grand adventure to find your toothpaste and, you know, the sights and the smells and the sounds and the customs, everything is different. And, uh, you kind of have to navigate your way around it. And I think that is what has made me addicted to the experience. I like almost get in this, this different type of headspace where just like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's kind of been my form of meditation is just, you know, going around and exploring with all these different sensory overloads. And, you know, my wife's the same way. And so I think that's why, that's why it works so well for us is that we're, we both embrace a lot of the, the challenges and the nuances that come uh, with travel. Well, you nailed it. I mean, you know, I wish that I can tell you that, you know, the toothpaste run in Mumbai, like I can, you know, I'm laid back enough to enjoy, you know, all the smells and the experiences along the way. And I think I have moments of that, but there's also moments where I'm like, fuck, this is hard. And, (laughs) you know, I, 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 one of the things that I did before I took uh, the longest trip I've ever taken was four months. And it was this last one that we did. And I had to like, did you ever have this, like, you got to sit down and have a conversation with yourself. And it was like, I had to sit down and go like, look, dude, you're going to have to chill out and everything is not going to be perfect. And you're not staying in a hotel for a week. You're staying in an Airbnb and you know, you're going to be bouncing around from country to country and there's going to be some challenges. And, you know, like we got to Montenegro, the one we've been talking about and, you know, I've got, you know, four pieces of luggage, which was like, you know, one too many. And I had to walk up a hundred freaking flights of stairs to go to my Airbnb. And I bitched the whole way up. And at some point I had to look at myself and go like, like, this isn't fun. Like you got to figure out a way, like what is within your personality as this sort of North American where everything has been, you know, handed to you and everything is easy and everything is just an errand. And how are you going to be able to expand yourself? And I, it like, it took a lot of wine and it took a lot of like chilling out to be able to do it. And after the first month, I got good at it. And I started to have conversations with people, you know, in the coffee shop, instead of going into the coffee shop to get a cup of coffee, I was, you know, meeting people and having a conversation with them. And I think that that changed my life, you know, honestly, and I will never forget all of those things. And I, you know, I really can't highlight enough how, you know, if you are in a a place where you love to travel, Take the advice that you just gave and make that toothpaste run an experience because it's going to serve you later in life. So I, I think that that's a beautiful way to put it. There, there are two reasons that people travel. And one is to escape their life, to take a break from it. And the other is to seek more life. And I'm really against the former. If you are, if you need... I mean, with some exceptions, if you just have like a very long project and you need to just go sit on the beach, like that's a once in a while thing. But if you need to take a break from your life, that means your life's broken. You should take that time that you would have for a vacation and just plan out your plan of what you want to do to, to change it. The, to go seek more life, the story that you just gave, I, I have yet to find anyone who has gone on an extended long-term trip to a place that is 
slightly beyond what their normal uh, situation is or, you know, their familiarity that has not had a life changing experience. I mean, maybe there's out there, but every it, it, well, listen, person it, I've ever talked to is It is life changing. And with everything else of value in life, sometimes it's fucking hard and sometimes it's a pain in the ass and it doesn't, it's not all wrapped up in a bow like you think it's going to be. But those are the things that you're going to remember forever. Like I will never forget in the dead of summer carrying my freaking luggage up 150 flights of stairs. Like I'm never going to 150 steps. I'll never forget that, you know? So, um, you, Do you, you pack know. lighter now. Oh shit. Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I told my wife, I said, look, just, 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 just pack the underwear. Like that's, that's all I need. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I'll tell you something else too. You know, if you take the 80, 20 principle, you know, this, the shit that you take with you, like you only wear 20% of it anyway. You just keep re-wearing the same t-shirt and bathing suit or whatever. Like you don't need the 80% that you take. Like you just, we always pack too much. It's unnecessary, right? So a hundred percent. And you know, I don't want to sound like I have always had it figured out, but every single trip I've gone on in my life, I've taken less and less things the next time. And now I'm at the point and I caveat this with uh, when I travel alone, because, you know, when you travel with two kids, sometimes there's no way avoiding you just looking like an Emirati housewife at the airport with just, you know, cribs and bags and all kinds of stuff. But when I'm traveling by myself now, uh, I, I have the tiniest little day pack and it fits. I only fit one extra shirt. I usually just have like a black t-shirt and I have one spare black t-shirt. I have a pair of boxers on and I have one spare pair of boxers and I have my laptop. And what I do is I, I take a little, little tiny tube of detergent. And, uh, at the end of the day, I take off what I'm wearing in the shower and just do a quick hand wash, hang it up, put on the, the, the change of clothes that I had. And I've, I've regularly gone on, you know, three week long trips, month long trips, uh, with just, uh, you know, two t-shirts, two pairs of boxers, two pairs of socks, uh, and the, you know, the shorts or the jeans that I'm wearing, depending on how hot or cold it is. Isn't it crazy? Like, you know, I am by no means a minimalist by no means, but I am leaning more and more that way. We have accumulated so much shit in our lives that is just unnecessary. And I think travel is a really good example of how much stuff we break. But you're right with the yeah. kids. You know, I have looked like an Emirati wife many, many times. <laughs> I will never forget that uh, that saying. That was really good. The, uh, the first time I went on that long, the first long-term trip or nearly a year, um, I had every single thing I needed to live, to work, to play. Like I had everything that I carried on my back. Uh, and then I, I came home and got an apartment and I said, Oh, it's time to get my stuff out of storage. I opened up the storage unit and it made me sick. I just wanted to shut it and say, you know, someone go pawn uh, auction this off because I just lived an entire year one of the best years I've had up to that point. And I didn't even think or know about any of the stuff that was in, uh, in this storage unit. 
Uh, and that, yeah, that has inspired me to be, if it wasn't for, you know, if it wasn't for kids, I would certainly call myself a minimalist. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, uh, I haven't found a way to, to, to balance it in, uh, in a family environment, but, uh, yeah, I think we just have a lot of stuff that we don't need. And that I think makes us, uh, it, it eats into our, our, to, to, to get to your, uh, you know, to your world, it eats into us playing harder because we have things that are tying us down or spending time, you know, organizing and cleaning stuff. And then it uh, gets in the way of, uh, I think, our work because we just have a bunch of shit that's clouding our mind that we don't need. You know, when I got, when I got back after this four-month trip, I had the exact experience that you just described in that story where we had, we moved from, um, we were living in Atlanta and then we took a four-month trip. We put everything we owned in Atlanta in a pod. And then from Italy, we had, we called them and said, drive the pod to LA. And so we arrived, we took a flight from LA to, uh, uh, from, uh, from Milan to LA. And when we arrived in the house and the pod came, and it started unloading this shit and it was boxes and forget the furniture. I mean, boxes of stuff. I'm like, what in the world did we need all of this stuff? And it's, I'll tell you exactly what we did. We kept it in the garage and we went on to the app next door and we said, this is this shit's all free. Go, go pick it up. And so we had people coming and we just gave it all away. It was like, it's unbelievable when you're gone for three or four months at a time, you don't need half the things that you think you need. So really, really interesting stuff. Now, how has traveling with Miles and Pax Lincoln. Did I get that right? Pax Lincoln? Yeah, Lincoln's the middle name, but yeah. Pax Lincoln, yeah. Uh, Miles and Pax. How did tra- how does traveling change with Miles and Pax? So one of the things that my wife and I were, you know, we discussed this and we were very deliberate about it. We wanted to make sure that obviously our life is going to change significantly having kids and for the better. And it's been, it's been by far the best adventure we've been on, but we also wanted to make sure that we were bringing them into our life, not us necessarily just entering into theirs. Uh, and so we wanted to, uh, uh, we wanted to expose them to that, uh, and, and at a very, very early age. So, uh, when miles was born, uh, we were actually, you know, I was, probably traveling to two to three countries uh, a month. And we had our home base in uh, Cairo, Egypt. And it was, uh, we, you know, we, it slowed down a bit, obviously, but we, we took him along with us. So I think his first year he went to 10 different countries and uh, I think it just made him so much more resilient and he eats, you know, every kind of food. And it's been really fun to just, even though he's not old enough to remember remember it, it's still it's really fun to expose him to that. And and even now, like you know, he's a two year old, so he's obsessed with cars. You know, he remembers every kind of rental car that we've had in, uh, in any type of trip we've been on. So like he regularly talks about the uh, the Opal that we had in Montenegro and uh, Croatia. Uh, and so it's just really fun that you know I the same benefit that I had of the world feeling small. Like I, I feel like we're imparting that on, on him. And then, you know, once we had our second, I think the second, uh, it gets a little bit tougher just because it just, you know, you have less hands to, to carry stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're still trying to, I think it's slowed us down slightly more. Uh, you know, he's, he's seven months old, so we haven't, yeah, I think he's only been to 
uh, maybe it's five or six countries at this point. You go to places that are way off the beaten path, like Somalia, Papua New Guinea. Like, do you ever do mainstream stuff anymore or is it all just how weird can you get it? Oh, for sure. I, uh, I, 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 you know, and at the, like at the point of, you know, going to, you know, it's like I said, I've been to a hundred different countries, not that the, the number matters, but, uh, you know, it's just, uh, most of the like easier places to get to, you know, I've been multiple times and, uh, I often go back and visit a lot of the same, uh, same places over and over again. Um, but, uh, the same thing that I was saying about like why I love travel of uh, pushing you outside of your comfort zone and just exposing you to different beliefs and different, uh, ways to do things and different sounds and different smells. I've so much of the developed world has become so normal to me, just, uh, and even a lot of the, the developing world. Uh, so I don't ever feel outside of my comfort zone. And so I love to, I love to go to places that still, uh, still give me that and still remind me. Uh, and you know, the Somalia and Papua New Guinea were certainly two of those places. And, you know, with, with over tourism as big as it is and places getting more and more crowded, like it's sometimes nice to go to a place where you still feel like you have that, you know, old school travel experience, like, they had maybe a few decades ago. I'm always jealous when I talk to old travelers who, uh, you know, were traveling long, <clears throat> long before uh, internet and even Lonely Planet, and they just would kind of wander around and really have the kind of adventures that, you know, you read about in legends. So, uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's fun to, to to add those kind of places into it. Yeah, I think uh, I think Rolf Potts was the, kind of like the last of them, right? Yeah. Rolf, uh, Rolf, uh, a, a great traveler and, you know, I would say, you know, philosopher. He's, uh, he's actually an advisor to trip scout. And, uh, so oh, I, wow, uh, that's yeah. amazing. and, uh, and when I first, uh, I first went on my, uh, digital nomad stint, I, I did some writing for his blog. So he's had a huge influence on, uh, on my travel philosophy. And I, I recommend if anyone starts traveling to get his, his book vagabonding, I love that. All right, we're going to wrap up with some rapid fire questions. Answer as quickly or as slowly as you would like. What would one of your friends say is your superpower? Getting started. What's one of the things you are afraid of right now? Uh, health of my family is probably the only thing that I'm ever concerned about. What keeps you up at night? Nothing. What do people never ask you, but you wish they did? What's for dinner? What's the, <laughs> that's the first time I've heard that. That's good. <laughs> What's the one thing that you want to get better at? Prioritizing getting to the gym. Mm. What book have you reread or re-listened to the most? A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's incredible. What's your guilty pleasure? Uh, IPA and wine and bourbon. If you had to give a TED talk on nothing that you're known for, so you couldn't talk about travel, and it can be on anything that you have a passion for, what would it be? Street art. Ooh. Wow. Not that I know how to, not that I am a practitioner. 
but uh, I've been a big admirer. Uh, anytime I go to a city, I think a lot of what made art so impactful over the years can best be seen on uh, what the people who are creatively risking jail time to get their message on a wall, what they're, what kind of stuff they're creating. That's amazing. I'm having dinner with Banksy tonight. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Last question. Ask me anything you want. Let's change it up a bit. What one question would you like to ask me? What has been the, the most consistent trait of the people that you have found that both you had mentioned, you know, the people that play hard really well and the people that work hard really well, and you don't always see them together. What about the people that you have seen? What was the consistent trait or how were they able to do it? It's a really good question. Um, and I don't have much of a sampling to give you an answer. Like if I'd done 200 interviews, I would say 5% of them fall into that category. But that said, I would say that they are people who have experienced enough pain in their life through boredom and have achieved a certain level of economic success because that's what they were chasing. And then after they got it and moved the bar from, if I make a million, okay, if I make 2 million, okay, if I make 3 million, realize that they are not getting to the things that they want to get to in their life. Money is not solving what they thought it was going to solve in terms of their level of happiness. Um, they have curiosity in common. They are willing to go off the beaten path uh, when it comes to all kinds of things. In other words, they, they're not dominant in one particular area. They're polymaths. So they are interested in reading books on mindset and reading books on wine and all of the other things in between. They have put themselves in an environment or a peer group of people that want similar things that demand more from them. They put themselves on the line. Like I'll use the example of the people that are in my work hard, play hard mastermind. These are people that know that left to their own devices, they wouldn't do it. So they have intentionally put themselves in a peer group that you know, where they're on the line. Like we got a trip to XYZ on this date. I'm not going to let the group down. So I would say that's a few of the things that come to mind. Did that answer you, the question? Yeah. And do you think when you look at yourself, do you think the you're more biased to play harder or work harder? Well, the reason why it was invented, the reason why I came up with this whole thing is because my life was about work. Yeah. And I just hit a point where I was like, is this all there is? Like, am I just going to keep, like, am I going to wake up and just, you know, am I an ATM machine for the family? Am I just going to keep, you know, working to make more money to, you know, go out to dinner and take two trips a year or, you know, like tomorrow's not promised, you know, and I've got friends as you do, as we're aging, we're all aging and, you know, they're getting sick or they're getting fat or they're getting bored or they're not excited or, you know, they've got a, some kind of, you know, physical challenge, back pain, sciatica, whatever that is preventing them from doing the things that they want to do. And time's running out. And I recognize that in myself where I'm like, why, like what, how, how am I going to keep 
you know, working, why am I going to keep working, working, working to what ends? Like, what am I looking for? Is it 10 million? Is it 20 million? Like, what am I doing this for? And it always bothered me where I'd go out to dinner and somebody would, you know, you know, order a Barolo and say, well, I want to do, you know, let's do 1972. And I'm saying, you know, I'll have a glass of red wine. And like lacking the sophistication of understanding how wine is made, or, you know, I can give you a thousand of those examples. And I just realized that there's all these verticals in life, whether it's, you know, wine or opera or sports or, you know, fresh fruit in Mozambique. There's all these different things that I want to bring into the fold of who I am to weave into the tapestry of my life and become you know, more Renaissance, I guess, is, is the, is the word I'm looking for and not just be so freaking one dimensional that I can talk about the one, you know, company that I created, like, it's just boring to me. And so I just wanted to, uh, you know, dig deeper into different areas. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's brilliant. That's beautiful. Uh, well, it's been fun watching your journey, uh, on Instagram stories. I feel like you do, uh, you do a phenomenal job of, of documenting that journey. So it's been, uh, it's been fun to follow along ever since that beach in, in Montenegro. Well, listen, we'll always have Montenegro, honey, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, we have so much in common. I hope that, um, we get to spend more time with each other, um, as our, uh, you know, as the planes go in the sky and hopefully we'll, 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 we'll land in the same airport one year, but, uh, I cannot thank you enough. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? Uh, no, just that, uh, everyone, uh, if they travel, not something they've really dedicated significant time to, to, to go do it and to, uh, go do something slightly outside your comfort zone. Uh, it's, uh, that comfort zone level is, different for everyone it might be somalia for me but it might be uh the town next door for someone else and so the point is, is there's no right way to do it just find find one place and uh if you are traveling check out the trip scout app and uh and yeah if anyone ever wants to reach out um at go conrad on instagram and twitter k-o-n-r-a-d conrad with a k uh i try to respond to everyone so feel free to send me your or travel-related questions. All right, we'll do, and we'll link everything up in the show notes. Amazing. All right, thanks again, Conrad. Thank you. All right, thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live. 